welcome to another vlog podcast of a private private practice success stories. And today I'm with uh, Jared DeFife. He's a licensed psychologist. Thank you for joining us. And Thank you for having me. I just want to share his story. I mean, part of this series is really just to um, put out there other people that are in the midst of building their practices, no matter their stage, and really like to celebrate small successes, big ones, and to learn from all the struggles. So thank you for being willing to do that with me today. Sure, and thank you for having me. So why don't you share with people a little bit about what you're doing right now? Sure. Um, well, I have been in private practice for about a, a little over a year and a half now. Uh, I specialize in working with really deep feelers. Mm -hmm. um, being a sort of deeply emotional person myself uh, and having kind of struggled with that and being told to quiet down, keep mm. it in check. People who love hard, who, mm. who are excited and exuberant, but sometimes the intensity of their emotions runs away with them. Um, and so I specialize in helping them kind of find the wisdom and power of their emotions and stories. And a part of that is deep feelers are really deeply affected by relationship troubles. Uh, a breakup, been cheated on, contemplating divorce. So a lot of my pe the people in my practice are navigating those kind of relationship dynamics. And I come to help them find clarity and confidence and wisdom through their stories. So if people that are listening haven't already figured out, one of the things I really love about you, and even from the first time I talked to you, is your way with words. Thank you. And expressing yourself. And so um, what a beautiful way to say, like, who you help. I love it. So, And <laughs> I know you. that you help other people kind of figure out those words, too. So I, I think it's something that is um, very special about you that I, I always appreciate when I've talked with you. So thank you so much. And you know, but but I'm glad you mentioned that because while the words to put words to it might might come well for me, the actual identity is has not yeah for me. It, it and as you know, I mean, it's ever since. So I left academia to to launch my private practice, and that that was like a year and a half ago. And the first, the really hardest part of that was I remember sitting in this very office. It was a lot less furnished than it. <laughs> but kind of sitting on that couch right over there and really deeply lost in and struggling with, and I still to this day do, that question of who do I help and yeah. what do I have to offer and how do I have that to offer, and then how to communicate that to people clearly and effectively in ways that, that resonate with them. So that has, and then still ways continues to be a right. struggle of something that, that I wrestle with, and I know a lot of people out there do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's why we have a whole thing just on niche. and mm -hmm. uh, I, And I think here's the point, though, is that you got to start somewhere, and then as you continue to talk, it gets more meaty and formulated. And over time, it gets yes. more refined. And you may bump up against a new kind of person, you know, in the midst of that too. And that's okay. Like being okay in that space of knowing that 
this is art. It's creative and it's always, <laughs> we're always creating, you know? And being flexible to those changes too, when they come along and listening right. to that. Um, my niche iteration has changed so <laughs> many times. I know. Life is probably crazy with it at this point, but <laughs> it has changed a lot. Of it does. It grows. It evolves. I, I think the the, and I think it's been more about finding it than it's about changing who I who I work with. Because yeah. I've always kind of known these these are the kind of situations, these are the kind of folks that I I do well with and yeah. that I thrive with, and. But finding the ways to articulate it yeah. appropriately has been harder. Yeah. Why did you leave academia? Oh, oh, why didn't I leave academia? Why didn't I leave sooner? <laughs> I was so I was, you know, I was in a very clinically focused PhD program. We mm -hmm. did a lot of psychotherapy research, a lot of personality assessment research. Uh, and you know, I was kind of groomed towards a faculty type track, yeah. uh, a, a clinical research track. Uh, I did three years of uh, in, I did internship and then two years of a postdoc up in Boston, which I loved my clinical postdoc. Um, but after that, I needed some more research experience and I had an opportunity to move down here to Atlanta to work on a major personality grant. Um, looking at research that was kind of shaping how we diagnose and assess personality disorders for things like the DSM-5 before mm -hmm. it came. Um, and I'd gotten some major NIMH grant experience there, and I worked at Emory in an academic medical setting. And, and the, this, it's a long story, but the short answer is my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And when your heart's not really in something, you find yourself pulled in a lot of directions and maybe not doing so well with that. And, I, and that's kind of the story about what happened. Some of it, my heart legitimately was in. I did care very much about clinical practice and clinical training and very much being informed by scientific research. But, and this is unfortunate, but the research practice split which was something we tried to address. But there are reasons that it's there mm -hmm. because the career paths are very, very different. To, and it's, it is, I know there are people who do it, but to me it was kind of impossible to walk that line. Mm -hmm. um, I could be a researcher which would have involved a different life. It would have been involved the skills of growing a research lab, a research agenda, Right. research niche and, and and producing those things and that was very much possible track but my clinical work and my heart was not not in doing that yeah and ultimately I was split among all of these places doing all of these different things feeling exhausted burned out overwhelmed not feeling like I was doing anything well not feeling and the more successful I was academically in terms of publishing the less happy I was getting and at one point it became time to say something's got to change right. and and that's and I just didn't feel like I was using my passion and energy in the ways that I wanted to and private practice was not something I had envisioned it was not something that I maybe had envisioned it as a later point in my career but definitely not and 
I just said, I, I went off this treadmill. And I think a lot of academics struggle with this very much. Um, it is a little bit like losing your religion. And there are people who are very disappointed, mm-hmm. uh, who had sort of invested and seen a future of you doing a certain kind of thing. And I had to take the leap. And I started looking around for office. I talked to friends who were in private practice and got some encouragement and seen that it was doable and could result in the kind of life that was better than the life that I was leading. I, f- I visited this space. A very good friend of mine is an office suite down the hall. This space was an empty shell with um, baby poop brown paint on the wall um, at the time. And I looked at it. And what you can't see from here is it, it's the, the whole other side of this wall here uh-huh. is all windowed out into a nice wooded area. And I fell in love with it. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, I, I asked you to take a leap when you, when you married me. Um, and thankfully you did that. And I said, would you take this leap with me? Uh, and, and would it be okay to do that? And she was all on mm. board with that and has mm-hmm. been ever since. Mm. And I have done it without her. Mm-hmm. I, um, I love what you said about losing your religion. Because I do think that we're brought up with certain ways of how we do whatever we were taught to do. And I hear this too from social workers and nonprofits and MFTs and nonprofits and psychologists that work in government or whatever. And even when I left the county, it was sort of like, here's this expectation, this ladder that you climb. And what I like to say is like, when you go into business yourself, there's still a ladder, but each rung is you. Like, it's just, you're just improving upon yourself, you know? And so like to throw away the old ladder. Yeah. There is a grief of like, whoa, and it's unsteady ground. So it sounds Uh, like. And grief. I two words, two emotions there. Grief is one of them. Fear is the other one, but grief. Absolutely. Yeah. Leaving it behind. Yeah. I don't think I ever exactly had even thought about private practice. Sorry, my cat just walked in and he's talking. (laughs) I get it. Um, either I hadn't really considered it either and so to do something that was like unplanned (laughs) it's like wait a second it's not what I was raised to do or or believe in so I understand that a lot so it sounds like when you decided you got uh, support from other people people that believed that it was possible people that and then also having your spouse's support your partner yes yes on board uh yes big Yeah. And you can't and you can't do it alone. You you cannot possibly I don't know how it would be possible to do anything that big and monumental alone and without support. And the more support that you could get, the better. I mean it through for me it 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 was my wife, it was talking to other people in practice, it was joining a small practice consultation kind of mastermind type group, um, joining the boot camp and the Facebook community and being in touch with other people. You know, leaving academia is a little bit like losing your religion, but, you know, going into business for yourself is almost kind of adopting another one. <laughs> you, you, have, you know, I see it less as, as you know, com- totally renouncing and maybe more is adopting a different set of principles. Yes. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we have a different language and different principles. And if it works for you, 
then it then it works for you. And I have I have wondered why I waited so long mm. because this was something that did match my passion and creativity. And when I wanted to make something happen or try out a kooky new idea, mm-hmm. many of which have failed. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, ask me about how many wholehearted partnership groups have run in this office. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Wait, yeah, let's talk thing? about that for a moment. <laughs> what kooky things have you tried that have been like oh, not God. winners? Okay, okay. Um, let, I'm trying to see if I can remember all of them. <laughs> no, uh, everyone's like, Jared, you just have a new kooky idea every week. So the niches were one of them, right? From professional women in business to academics who are leaving academia to whatever. That, that's always one. I wanted to do a couples therapy group at one point uh-huh. and, you know, put out the flyers and put out the word and send emails to listservs and didn't get anyone. Um, Stop. Why do you think yeah. that is? Groups are hard. Groups are hard to fill. Um, yeah. I think one lesson that I learned was you fill groups from your own practice. Yeah. That's my belief, but not everyone does that. Yeah. And I suspect that would be the number one reason because I, I, I did it so early on mm. that I did not have, I wish group was something that was a little bit more that people knew more about was more kind of accepted as a thing, but I think it right. is a little harder of a, you think it's easier because you think it's an easier entry point because it's lower cost, you know, the time involved, it's actually a higher entry point. Yes. So you have to have more contact with folks, more, more sense that they know and trust you. Yeah. That. That's probably the main reason why it failed for me. Uh-huh. Um, so there was the, the, the couples therapy group. And you've had partnerships? Uh, no, uh-uh. no, it was, oh, okay. it was called the wholehearted partnership group. Oh, okay. Uh, what else have I, um, psych talk Tuesday was something I, to try and bring some local experts in to give a talk. We had one of those. Mm-hmm. Although psych talk Tuesday has transformed for me into my n- biggest new kooky endeavor, <laughs> which actually hits because it, it works for me. And that would be starting the school of psych podcast. Yeah. You know, after being interviewed by Melvin on the Selling the Couch podcast and seeing the response that people had to that and how people really resonated with that. He interviewed me in the episode about writing your psychology today profile. And this a podcast was an idea I'd batted around for a couple of years. And he made it look really easy. <laughs> and you see all of this cool, awesome gear. I who doesn't like new gear? <laughs> And that has been an amazing, I'm not going to say a business success, although there have been elements that have been a business success already. I launched like three weeks ago. It's been a great personal success because I get to talk to amazing guests who get to share incredible stories and it's turned into something I totally didn't expect. Mm -hmm. I expected it to kind of be interviews about psychology and psychotherapy and what it became from our first guest, who was a journalism professor, and she tells this great story about she was obsessed with a man who didn't love her back. And she found herself breaking into his apartment, knocking on his door, and instead of greeting her to be like, hey, you, he opens up the door and he's got a baseball bat in one hand and a phone dialing 911 in the other hand. And her telling her story. And she changed the face of that, that podcast 
And in ways it makes sense for what we're talking about today, which is in each of those episodes, there is a journey of, of the interviewee or guest about their life experiences and how it shaped their niche and who they became and their identity and the message and the, and the story and the message that they then send out to others. And okay. that's been incredible. We have some incredible guests coming up. I've been so excited about it. So I want to just point out to people that are listening in case they're not picking up on this, that several times what was a flop Mm -hmm. turned out to be something unexpected. And there's something about like, you know, like we do boot camp and stuff and we say there's these tools, but there's also like you have to be open and flexible because it's all unexpected a lot of the times. Like it comes out of other things than what you had planned on. The key is that you show up and you try and then out of that, you respond to whatever is given back, you know? And so I love that you're like, I didn't totally plan on this, and but it came out of this and this and this, right? Yes. A success is a flop with a fancy new paint job and some new pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it does involve that kind of dual being able to let go when you know something just doesn't hit or doesn't fit you or doesn't resonate with others but also about finding the core passion and message and purpose that, that drives you. Yeah. Because even though there have been all these iterations and flops and failures and starts and stops, there have been things that have been core to me through my whole life and career. And, and, and there are really three things. It's, it's people's personal stories and, mm-hmm. and helping them share and articulate those because I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was never really good at, at writing fictional stories. It just wasn't, but I love helping people craft and share theirs. Emotion and passion and how people navigate strong, passionate emotions and the wisdom they learn from that. And that's a big theme in my therapy practice. Um, and, and relationships and, and romantic relationships uh, has been a key theme through all those. Um, for me, it just becomes about putting the pieces together around those, those things in the various trials, things that I do in the therapy aspect that I do in the podcast and, and in some of the consulting work that I'm going to be embarking on. Mm-hmm. So if someone's thinking about private practice... What? Wait, wait, before you go there, that, that reminds me that uh, speaking of flops and you asked me about academia and that's one of the things that you could look at my academic career and say, well, I did all this stuff (laughs) and what good is it doing me now? Right. And, and, but it actually has been incredibly informative. One of the things that I was doing on that research project was, was conducting detailed narrative life interviews with people, and we scored them for research purposes. But I conducted hundreds of these interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, we were supposed to have lots of different interviews, but at some point, the primary task fell to me to do hundreds of these two, two-and-a-half-hour life story interviews. Uh, about people who were in therapy or who were seeking therapy. They were referred from their therapist into the research project. And we collected a bunch of data and report questionnaires. But 
But that was the thing that really drove my days during those times. Hmm. And when people were able to connect the dots on their stories, and my favorite thing would be by the end, they would, they would see the narrative arc of their life story and goes, you know what? This makes sense for who I am now. Yeah. And it fits together, like puzzle pieces going together. That was so gratifying and so rewarding. And that skill has is what I do now with the podcast and it's what I do in therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and so you could say, well, that was big floppy wasted years of your time, but it's just a kind of different iteration of that. Yeah. I think that that's what life is <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I really do believe that same thing. Your themes show up over and over and over again. And it's about harmonizing and listening to them. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a few trials to listen. I'm still not listening on some, I'm sure. You know? um, Speaking of a few trials, I'm sorry I interrupted. You had a question. No. I mean, if, if someone is thinking about going into practice, what is some of advice you have to give them? Ooh. A lot of things. Um, Give me your top three. <laughs> number one, be prepared for fear to be part of the job. Mm-hmm. Number and how you respond to fear mm-hmm. is important. Number two, um, Know that a part of the job of private practice is not just being excellent as a clinician. It's also about running a business and connecting with people to, to run your business and treating your business like a business and all the elements that go along with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people have heard lots of that one before. The third one I think is more unique to me. We talk a lot about niches and niches are super important. And, and having an audience or an ideal client that you speak to is super important. But the ways we try to find our own niches, I think sometimes lead us to a little bit of analysis paralysis. And my message would be, if you have one, great. If you're like, I work with uh, kids with ADD who want to play basketball and, and you have some special therapy for that and that's, that's your niche and you have it and it fits and you have a therapy model that works with that. Fantastic. For the rest of us, it might not be so easy. Is if you find yourself in that analysis paralysis, go back to your story. Mm -hmm. What is your story? What is your arc? What is your conflict that you have either seen others struggle with or that you yourself have struggled with and, and overcome and from that sense of empathy and understanding, tell that story in a way that resonates with others. And that's how you'll find your clients. It doesn't start out by saying, well, uh, I want to work with people who have experienced sexual trauma. It, it, it's more like I was working in this agency setting and I had these survivors of sexual abuse and I saw how devastating it was to their lives. And I was left not knowing what to do to help them. And so I explored different aspects of therapies and treatments. And I landed on, um, you know, emotionally focused exposure therapy. And that's how I help people. And that's where 
that's where your niche emerges from. It emerges from your story, not by saying, okay, I need to identify this ideal person with these qualities. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can ever divorce your business from yourself. Right. And I don't think you can divorce our kind of work from yourself either, because that is the work. That is yourself showing up with them, their self and being in a room in relationship. And if you cut off from your story in that, that really, I think, goes against what therapy is in a lot of ways. You know, like you're, cut, you're missing a piece of the puzzle. And so I think involving yourself in all aspects is important. And I think that that's a beautiful illustration of that, especially in terms of like niche and marketing. What people think is very like, oh, I fill out this form and I'm done kind of thing. I would say nine times out of 10, Jared, when people tell me their niche, they usually have a personal story and they yes. don't realize it until they like, like when we have people do the journals for their ideal client, they're like, oh crap, that's my, my sister-in-law or that's me or that's some ass, that's that client that I have, you know, and it's part of their story that's in that aspect. Um, and in terms of like fear, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about fear and how you're driving the car and you can say to, to fear, like you can sit in the back seat and you, <laughs> have, a place, you have a place in the car, you yes. can talk, but you can't drive the car. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so true. What are, you know, what, what has been a struggle for you in terms of doing this? I mean, I know it's not all glory. <laughs> <laughs> um. Self-definition. Um, in terms of how fear overtakes me, those first six months in practice, those were hard. Those were hard. Um, I, when I left, I, I, I made both a promise to myself that I wouldn't split myself in too many directions, so saying no to things is always hard. Um, but I made a real conscious effort to do that and a promise to my wife that I would do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but those first six months where for me, there was enough financially to, to kind of pay the expenses and, and to meet that. So it's not that I was losing money in doing this, but by about month four or five or so, and you're kind of meeting expenses, but you're not making a living. And it was something I knew to be prepared for. And I knew that you know, those first months, you, you can't expect to make enough to make a living. You, you, you really do have, need to have a, a sound financial plan of some money saved up. Can you say that You need to have a sound financial plan of some money saved yeah. up and, and a plan about, you know, what's going to sustain you through that and to invest in your business, mm -hmm. right? That, that, was, that was fairly easy for me to do. The, 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 the egg to start with was not something I had the choice. Um, you know, leaving when I needed to, how I needed to, it was not the choice of being able to have much of a great cushion. Right. And so then the question of do I sign on for insurance panels, not because building private pay practice is great, but it, it can be a little slower when you start. Um, and after about month five and at the edge of despairing and ready to sign on 
I looked at an insurance company contract, all 15 pages just to apply for one. And I was like, hell no. Uh, but that was the darkest time. And that was about four to five months in. And I don't know what shifted from there, to be honest. I, no, I do know what shifted from there. Hmm. I do know what shifted from there. At that time, during those first four or five months, when people would ask me about how practice was going, I was so down about it. Mm-hmm. And you could see that. I think you could see that kind of defeated, demoralized. Ah, this feels so stressful. It's yeah. so hard. And, and you need a place for that. You need a place for that. And you need support and, and special people to turn to to be able to say that to. But when you're talking about your business, you have to be en- enthusiastic and passionate and believe in your business. Mm-hmm. People want to see that. People are going to resonate with that. People will respond to that. That shifted for me there. And I think things started to turn around from there as well. When I started to talk to members of the community and I started to say, I'm really excited about being in private practice. And these are the people that I'm really excited about seeing. And I would love to help these people. Do you know any of these people who could use some help? And that's when things started to turn around. Attitude. Yeah. What you present. Yeah. And it's so hard when you're struggling. I mean, it's so hard when you're struggling Well, yeah, to, and I, to, to have that shift. Yeah. Like I just wrote a blog about the reality and how to deal with it and how you deal with it is with a community I find in relationships yes. and it's a certain kind of relationship, not the relationship where you're networking. Yes. It's the relationship where there's someone, you know, you have other colleagues that are in private practice that like, you can say like today sucked today. <laughs> it yeah, sucked. <laughs> you know like, and, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And I attended an ethics talk at, around that time, and um, Becky Beaton, um, she's a psychologist. She's been on Hoarders, and she, she's she's kind of a force of nature here in Atlanta, and runs a really successful large group, group large group practice around here, and does uh, private practice consultation groups. And after that talk, she said, you know, I'm starting this new group, and and, you know, people are interested in that and building their practices. And, and that's a kind of investment in your business that I was like, I jumped on it. And the emotional support of that group has been really tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of that emotional support helped with that mindset. That's great. What tools do you love that have made building your practice easier? I love, well, first of all, I love my boot camp and my, and my webinars with Kelly and Miranda. And no, I'm not paid to say that. Maybe I, should, maybe I should work that out beforehand. Uh, so that would be, that would be one. And I, I love that through all of those times. I didn't sign up to a boot camp almost a year later, but those webinars were something I turned to very early on. Mm, thanks. Uh, I love my Selling the Couch podcast with Melvin Varghese. Mm-hmm. Check that out. I love my simple practice. I yeah. love my simple practice. I do too. <laughs> I love my simple practice. It has my simple practice. Are you out there? They haven't paid me either, but maybe I should also work on that. Um, it has my client records, my billing, uh, it does have scheduling features. I don't use them for scheduling. I've always used full slate. Yeah. Um, but it has all of those things integrated in one place. And 
I love that. And being able to have that not on paper charts in massive filing cabinets is amazing. And then I can have people's cards on file and click for a payment (laughs) at the end of a session. Pretty good stuff. Yes. Those are very good tools. (laughs) (laughs) I like all of them. Um, So what do you think is next for you? You've got your practice going, you're seeing clients, now what? Or that, is there now what, maybe? Oh, there's, there's, yeah, it's me. There is a now, <laughs> there is what comes next. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still, I mean, they're still growing the client base. I, that's still true for me, even about, you know, coming up on almost two years in, I'm still, I'm at a place where some people might consider themselves full, probably about, we do somewhere between 16 to 20 clients per week. And some of those are one and a half. Some of them are two hour sessions. Uh, so there's still some of that to go the podcast uh, and growing the podcast. But what that becomes is a big question mark. Mm-hmm. Here I have these skills of interviewing guests mm-hmm. and telling personal stories and building personal brands and using your personal storytelling to emotionally resonate with the people that you're trying to connect with. I think it looks a little something like webinars and consulting, whether that's about how to interview people and connect with people or whether that is about how to tell your own personal story. I don't quite have figured out yet. Mm-hmm. And we know that I'm going to develop something that's going to flop along the way. And then it's going to turn into something amazing. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, but the podcast is huge. I'm having so much fun. That's I'm great. having more fun than I should be <laughs> doing that. I don't think so. I think that <laughs> stuff is awesome. I mean, um, it's good that you're finding that out. You know? Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, how can they get in touch? Schoolofpsych.com would be the website for the podcast. That would be the best place to find me. Uh, that does link over to my private practice website, but I think the, the best way for people out there to find me would be schoolofpsych.com. Uh, and there are links to the Twitter page for that and Facebook pages on there too. But, but the website for the podcast would be the way to go. And listen to the School of Psych on, on yes. iTunes. Subscribe, subscribe. I'll put the information (laughs) down below. And, you know, if you guys are on the blog, feel free to comment and share what you're learning from these kind of talks and from Jared's story. It's an awesome story that I get to keep watching, which I love (laughs) (laughs) to um, just um, be a fly on the wall and see what you're always up to and doing. I really appreciate that I get to have that kind of insider a little bit. And um, I'm excited for other people to check out your podcast and learn about that. There's so many ways to serve and so many ways to use your skills. And so if you feel like stunted, um, just know like it shows up in other places. Like, you know, academia was not the place for you to flourish those skills, but this has been. And so I think that that's a message of hope for people that are looking to go into private practice. So thank you so much for taking the time to share it. Um, It's a real honor. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome.